1: This episode is brought to you by Datadog.
0: Debt collectors are calling, leaving threatening voicemails, and sending letters saying they will take legal action soon. Hopefully, you've never been in that situation. It's possible and almost necessary to have to take on some debt within your lifetime. And that doesn't mean that it has to be a problem. In this episode, we're going to define technical debt and talk about what it is, how it comes about, and different ways to pay it off. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? I'm fighting my shoulder right now.
1: Um, Sorry, right, right as you were talking, um, I just like shifted my shoulder to pop it and it hurt really bad. <laughs> Took my breath there for a second. Uh, this past week, I've been working a lot. Uh, we've got, you know, we've got a release coming out and, you know, fixing bugs in that we've got stuff that's gotten deployed to client sites and they've got custom pieces I'm having to jump onto that stuff got caught up on you know uh, emails and stuff I got ahead on all the emails for the uh, the podcast got ahead on writing outlines a little bit not completely done with one but you know ahead of where I normally am um, so I've just been working like a dog uh, here lately like this past weekend I, you know I worked all day Saturday and then I ended up yesterday basically running around all day running errands I didn't get to do very much of anything this weekend, so I'm a little tired. That's basically it. I would still got to keep going until at least uh, Friday night, and then I can oversleep Saturday morning and then develop launchpad. Yeah, well. But I'm looking forward to that oversleeping, that's what I'm saying. How about you?
0: Well, I've been doing some mentoring and tutoring recently. Uh, it's kind of fun to see how the people that I'm working with have different ways of learning, and sometimes it's a challenge to explain a concept. That to me makes perfect sense. But I know when I was learning, there were things that just did not click right away for me and it took a while for me to get. So I try to explain it in multiple different ways until they kind of get a little bit. And the the hardest part, I guess, is understanding that they may not get it right away and it has to ruminate for a bit because I want people to to get it to understand what I'm saying right here right now and that that's not always the case.
1: Yeah, that's always been my weak spot too when I'm trying to help people is I get into over explaining things mm-hmm. a little bit and sometimes, you know, stuff sticks better when people when you get them 30% of the way and they get the other 70. Yeah. Because now they own it. Mhm. And I, I don't know. I, it's a problem I run into as well and it's 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 hard to to beat that.
0: Mhm. So I finally joined the modern world and upgraded my phone. I now have an iPhone 8. And the only one that they had in black was the 256 gigabytes. So, well, I got more storage space on my phone than on the SSD on my laptop. Now, the laptop does have a regular hard drive that has more. But it's interesting not needing to worry about storage space as my last phone... Well, it had about as much storage as this laptop has memory, and most of that was taken up by iOS. Yeah. Speaking of the new iPhone, uh, there's an interesting app that I'm going to talk about this week for IoTs. Mm For those of y'all that upgraded earlier than me, you probably already know about this. But for the rest of us Luddites and the Android users in the crowd, uh, when I got my new iPhone, it came with an app called Home. This is Apple's built-in control for your smart home accessories. It has the tagline, one app for all of your home accessories. And they make it clear that this is to be the intended app for IoT. Though they do have a limited number of accessories because each one is reviewed and approved by Apple to help ensure security. And with Apple's dedication to security and restrictions on what they'll let even into their app store, I'm kind of excited to find out more about it and play with this app. Uh, I'll have to find some accessories that are compatible with both the Apple and Amazon's Alexa Echo, so... If there isn't one already, I'll probably be compiling a list. I think um, some of the guys on
1: MS Dev show were talking about that, and there's some kind of little deal that you can rig up that will actually forward requests to the other one.: Oh, neat. So you might be able to like proxy it some way,
0: you know <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't listened to their most recent show, so I'll have to check that out. That's awesome.
1: It was one a while back. I think it was MS Dev show. I'd have to look again. It's that time of year again. BJ and I are getting ready for Nashville's premier polyglot technology conference. This year, Music City Code has combined forces with Music City Agile and Music City Data, and by their powers combined, they form Music City Tech.
0: Have you ever wondered what it's like to record a podcast? Sit in the audience as we host a panel at the conference that will later, through the magic of editing, become an episode. Meet us and the Junior Developer Toolbox crew at our booth and get some really cool complete developer swag. Music City
1: Tech is a three-day event may 31st through june 2nd consisting of simultaneous conferences music city code music city agile and music city data each focused on a particular community of technology professionals held at vanderbilt university music city tech is announcing the selected sessions this week beach will be one of them tickets go on sale april 1st with early bird pricing at 50 percent off attendees can register at complete developer.musiccitytech.com who's talking to us this week well, we grabbed a Facebook comment from Lucas Rodriguez. Uh, said, "Why are or why usually JavaScript books slash courses are JavaScript plus jQuery? I know jQuery is easier, but you aren't learning JS that way. Any recommendations for somebody who wants to re- learn really vanilla JavaScript? Thanks."
0: Thanks, Lucas. Now we'll kind of addressed this in our live feed last week, but uh, we thought it would be a good question to discuss with the entire audience. I guess
1: the the way I would start with this is um, jQuery is easier um, and it gets around a lot of the you know bad old days of JavaScript. I don't know that it's entirely necessary now. that said, it does seem like most of the tutorials kind of seem to start there, which I find very strange.
0: Well, a lot of your older developers don't really know the difference between JavaScript and jQuery because they were taught. They don't
1: use it alone. Yeah. It's like me with uh, Visual Studio and ReSharper. I couldn't tell you what the Visual Studio shortcut key is for some things because I've got another layer on top that I use. Um, I will say that you can learn a lot of really slick vanilla JavaScript digging through the jQuery code, not the minified one, not like the regular jQuery code, you know, the raw open source code. I wish that more tutorials were Vanilla JavaScript, I do think you should start there and then you should go to jQuery when you were interning here. That's, you know, that's what we did
0: because I didn't want you to be dependent on, you know, some library. Well, until I built some like really crazy stuff in Vanilla JavaScript and you're like, you know, that you could just do that real easily with jQuery. I'm like, you told me I wasn't allowed to use that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to a
1: point too, where it was, it was like, okay, he's capable of doing the more complex stuff and then Okay, now let's let's do this in a cleaner easier to maintain way.
0: Yeah. I will say W3Schools has some really good vanilla JavaScript tutorials and just basic information on JavaScript cuz they they actually do separate JavaScript and jQuery.
1: Yeah, and I would imagine Pluralsight has got quite a few as well. Probably so,
0: yeah. And again, thanks, Lucas, for participating on our Facebook Live and asking this really great question. Send us a message or email with your contact information because we've got a Complete Developer Water Bottle just for you. And Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer Water Bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram, Path, and Tumblr. You can check us out each week on Facebook and Twitter Live and Periscope, where every Monday evening we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thank
1: you to our sponsor, Datadog, a cloud monitoring platform bringing full visibility to dynamic infrastructure and applications create beautiful dashboards, set powerful machine learning-based alerts, and collaborate with your team to resolve performance issues.
0: Datadog integrates seamlessly with more than 200 technologies, including Google Cloud Platform, AWS, Docker, PagerDuty, and Slack. Speaking of, with fast installation and setup, plus APIs and open source libraries for custom instrumentation, Datadog makes it easy for teams to monitor every layer of their stack in one place, but you don't have to take our word for it. Start a free trial today and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadog.com slash complete developer to get started. Originally coined by Ward Cunningham, technical debt is the idea that there will be a cost in terms of more development work down the line for using certain solutions to problems that arise while developing. The whole idea is a metaphor comparing development to taking out financial debt. Uh, It's also related to refactoring, which is the idea of going into your existing code and making changes to improve the quality or readability or any number of factors. Technical debt can be used to predict the amount of work that refactoring your code will take. We have a quote from Ward Cunningham when he was introducing this. Shipping first-time code is like going into debt. A little debt speeds development so long as it is paid back promptly with a rewrite. And I, I do want to say here that this episode is not about finding hidden debt, Instead, it's about understanding what technical debt is and what it can do. And we're going to have more episodes on the topic that talk about various episodes of hidden debt or finding technical debt in your code base.
1: We're going to use a couple of systems to break down technical debt. First, we'll talk about the types of debt, then the sizes or how much debt you take on. Next, we'll discuss technical debt accumulation, looking at each type with each size of debt finally, we'll discuss paying off your technical debt. Throughout the episode, we're going to continue the metaphor using real monetary debt as an example for how to understand technical debt.
0: Yeah. As I was building this at each level, I would put in you know what it related to and then write that out later. Yeah. First off, we're going to talk about the types of technical debt. You can think of technical debt as falling into one of four quadrants where the x-axis is reckless to prudent, and the y-axis is deliberate to inadvertent. It's kind of hard to describe this as an image. Google technical debt quadrant, and you will get plenty of pictures of this because it's everywhere. The idea originally came from Martin Fowler in a blog post he wrote on technical debt, which we will link to in the show notes.
1: Yeah, so reckless debt would be something with high interest and long-term to pay it off, but little benefit. This is like taking out a huge loan for a really expensive car.
0: Mm -hmm. Whereas prudent debt would be something that is needed and can be paid off in a timely manner. So this would be something like medical bills or taking out a car
1: loan. Or a home loan or a business loan, something like that.
0: For A car loan for a car that... Is practical. You know, it may have a couple bells and whistles because you like to spoil yourself and you can afford it. But, but not
1: like a crazy, over the top, expensive. I can't afford this, but I want to show out. Right. type Vehicle. Inadvertent debt occurs when you're not expecting to take on debt, or you do so without intending to. Yeah, this would be like a uh, emergency medical bills. Yeah,
0: like going to the emergency room, or something comes up all of the sudden. Um, you or have a car wreck, and you have to take out debt to buy a new car because you have to drive to work.
1: Yeah. And I mean this could also be, you know, inadvertent in the sense that, you know, it it, it could be through lack of paying attention as well. Sort of like getting a massive tax bill and having to get on a payment plan.
0: Right. No. Deliberate debt, on the other hand, happens for a reason. And this is when you or your team is aware that they're taking out this debt. So this is like me right now, I am saving up so that I can buy a home. And when I do, I will be taking out debt, but that will be deliberate debt or going to college to get an education so you can get a good job. You are taking out deliberate debt when you do that with an end goal in mind, knowing that, hey, I'm going to have to pay this back.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know. by the way, that's not any um, speech on whether your perception of the value of that debt is accurate or not. It's just, you did it on purpose.
0: Yeah. The, the, the perception of value is the reckless to prudent. Yes. (laughs) And it may, you know, the, the, that may or may not be the case, but uh. so what this creates are four quadrants and they can be termed naive, unavoidable, strategic, and Dunning-Kruger. And yes, I made up the last one (laughs) because it, it, it was only the first three. And we'll talk a little bit about why that one is not going... We're not going to talk too much about it as we go along. The first one, though, naive technical debt. That occurs when you don't know the correct way to build or design your code.
1: Yeah, and that comes from being inadvertently reckless. So do you remember how you coded when you first started, right? Like early on, like six months in, Mm -hmm. if you built an app... Doing that, like you were hired by a company and you built an app for them. they would That would be naive technical debt. Like most of what you wrote would have been naive technical debt.
0: Yeah. You're going to see this mostly with junior developers, though senior developers aren't immune. No, they're not.
1: Uh, senior developers get into it another way. Yeah. Is really what it comes down to. Uh, like jumping to another language and then writing their code in that language as if it were in the first one. That's Mm -hmm. the biggest one that I see.
0: (laughs) That reminds me of when I first started at my job and I was jumping between SQL, C sharp and Angular. The lead developer that I was working with, which you guys have heard Cody on has been on the show. He said to me several times, like, yeah, I can tell when you made the switch from C Sharp to JavaScript because
1: you wrote C Sharp in JavaScript for a while, basically. He's
0: yeah. like for, for you know about yeah you know, ten to fifteen lines of code. You like while you're working for the first hour or so, it, it's C Sharp and JavaScript, and then you switch over. Yeah,
1: you also see this a lot with senior developers that are really good at like a middle tier language. Again, mm-hmm. you know, C Sharp, uh, Visual Basic, Java, those kind of things when they write database code.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they
1: will write it procedural. It's like there's cursors everywhere and you know SQL is set-based and you don't tell it how to implement things unless you just really have to. So that's the way that it, it manifests for senior developers.
0: Mm-hmm. I can see that. The next one is unavoidable technical debt. And this happens when things that are outside of your control add to the development process. Uh, this quadrant is created by the mix of inadvertent, but prudent. Things causing this type of debt, and we're going to get more into it in a little bit, but they, they're they necessary, however, not expected and not planned for. Like for instance, you suddenly
1: have to uh, scale your app because you just took on a huge client and you know sales landed a deal. It was a surprise. You weren't expecting it. You got to make decisions that make the thing scale. You might have to write some crap code. Mm-hmm just to get it out the door and land that client. And it can make a huge difference for the business, but you weren't involved in the planning. Right. So strategic technical debt occurs when there's a known reason to take on the technical debt and it's decided to do so. Now that sounds a lot like the whole big client thing, but this is more looking forward, whereas the unavoidable is more like, oh crap, it's here.
0: This is basically the best category to be in because... It's planned for debt with known costs and known benefits. So you know what you're getting out of that. So, you know, when you buy a house, you know, hey, I'm getting a place to live with building equity into it that I'll get something out of it, but I do have to pay into it on a regular basis. And that's that's what strategic debt is. These are things that are necessary and expected.
1: Yeah, and a lot of examples, you know, there's tons of examples of this kind of stuff. Um, Starting out with a data access framework that you don't necessarily like, but you're trying to get a product up Mm -hmm. so that you can show it to venture capitalists and maybe get some money in to actually have salaries. That's strategic technical debt. It's okay, as long as you don't overdo it.
0: I I actually ran into some of this today, and um, we may talk a little bit more about it later, but uh, I ran into a problem where something that we had been using was was originally built as a proof of concept and certain things like, you know, some links that should be in the database were in the database, but they were also hard-coded into the UI.
1: Yeah, so you didn't have to mess with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Just to show, hey, this works. And then when we added a new th- thing to it, we put it in the database like it was supposed to be. Everything was there and it wouldn't. the links weren't working because they were hard-coded into the UI.
1: Yeah. And you'll run into a lot of this stuff, especially yeah. on small, nimble teams that are trying to get new stuff done. Mm-hmm. Like, this is all over the place. Oh.
0: So the final category, and we're not going to talk too much about this throughout the episode, is the Dunning-Kruger technical debt. And again, I made up this one. This occurs when you are deliberately reckless, believing that you don't have time or don't need to build your code correctly. Uh, this comes about through arrogance, poor management, External pressures is a lot of different things, but like I said, we're not really going to focus too heavily on this one throughout the episode, because honestly, if you're in the Dunning-Kruger club, you know better than us anyways.
1: Yeah. Well, and you don't know you're in that club. Well, yeah. The, the, the whole, definition. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah it's not well, our the whole. The whole idea here is you think you know better, so you're purposefully not doing things because you think you know better. And you can get it out
1: quick. Yeah. That's really the- the
0: no, main and thing. we're not really going to talk too much about that because there's not a lot that you can do for that. So next, we'll talk about the
1: various sizes of debt because you know there's a difference in dynamic between you know just like look at your personal financial. If you owe the bank a hundred thousand dollars, you know the bank has got you in a bind. If you owe the bank a hundred billion dollars, you've got the bank in a bind, right? Like there's there's a different dynamic to how this stuff plays out mm-hmm. depending on how big the debt actually is in one area or not.
0: And we're going to break it down into short term, mid term, and long term debts. So, short term debt, this is something that is intended to be taken on for an immediate use and then paid back in a quick or short time frame.
1: Right. And so, this is stuff like hard coding links. Yeah. Because that's pretty easy to fix, probably, because if you're putting your links in a database, And that's your common practice. You've already got code to pull those out, but it was quicker just to take this shortcut and get the thing out the door.
0: Yeah, you may do this because you have a sprint deadline coming down on you, and you intend to pay it off in the next sprint.
1: Yeah, or there's something broken at a client site, and you just need to get a fix out. Right, you know, get things where they're
0: not on fire. Mm -hmm. The goal here is for the debt to be small and easy to repay. You know, in financial sense, the proper use of credit cards would be a great example of this.
1: Yeah, and I just did this Saturday night. I bought a new refrigerator and mm-hmm. I put it on the credit card and it'll be getting paid off here in 2 weeks or yeah. something like that, you know, when the next bill hits because mm-hmm. that's what I do.
0: Yeah, well the the proper way to use a credit card is to to supplement until you can pay it off. So you take on a little bit of debt to get through a certain time period and pay it off at the end of the month or the end of that yeah.
1: cycle. And I just use it for cash flow management more yeah. than anything. Because now I've got another month before that actually hits my account to kind of think about things. It's, it's a way of creating space, mm-hmm. which is what this stuff is.
0: And sometimes there's also external rewards like cash back or points that you earn from using your credit card. So you, know, you may get some external rewards for getting something out quickly uh, and then come back and pay it off a little bit later.
1: Yeah, like you may, you may save a sale you know, to a a client, Mm -hmm. for instance. And then, okay, you look good in front of management, you get promoted, now you're in a better position to fix all the debt. That became a productive asset for you. Uh, Midterm debt is taken out for larger things that are to be paid off on a regular schedule. Uh, This may be stuff like, you know, changing out an API where you leave in a backward compatibility, you know, the slash V1 slash V2 Mm -hmm. APIs in your app because people can't move immediately. Yes, the, the old one is technical debt, but you know there's reasons you have to leave that in there for a little while.
0: Yeah, I did this. We're doing somewhat of a microservices architecture. And so when I rebuilt one of our microservices to match the new data model that they wanted for it, but we already had applications in production that were using it. So we had to build in some way of letting them continue to use it until they could be updated. Yeah. And that is technical debt. That is midterm debt where, all right, we've got five applications out there that need to be updated to use the new API.
1: But we cannot update them all right now.
0: Right. We don't have the staffing to update them all right now.
1: And get them deployed and get them tested all together
0: while the system's running. Exactly. So we're going to build in some technical debt of, hey, we've got backward compatibility. They still work, but we can go in one at a time. And over the course of a year, get all five of them over to the new API. A monetary example of this would be something like your car payment. It's not a small debt that you take out.
1: <laughs> More than likely.
0: Yeah, but you do pay it off incrementally. So you you have a set time frame that you're going to pay it off in and set amount that you pay towards it.
1: Yeah, and with the goal of actually getting it done. Um, now, there are people that get car payments that they they can't cover or they're constantly paying a car payment, you know, their entire lives. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, I'm getting a car payment as a way to bridge a gap.
0: Though I will say some of the, uh, some of the cheaper cars that you can find are ones that were repossessed. So
1: yeah, there is that
0: finally long-term debts are ones that can't be paid off quickly or easily.
1: And this is stuff like changing your framework or your language. Um, I remember when uh, .NET came out, all the Visual InterDev programmers and the Visual Basic programmers were in a tizzy because now they got to change all their code. And mm-hmm. there's people out there that still haven't done that. I've got a pretty good friend that's in that boat right now. That's got some Visual Basic six code. It still runs. Yeah. But you know, when he needs to get help on it, like it, the the number of those developers is then and
0: it's a long term thing that he's kind of stuck with something more more modern would be switching from AngularJS js to angular yeah and i've taken several classes on making that transition because the newer apps my team is the only one still developing angular js because back when we started the application cuz we 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 built it uh, we built a part of it and then we did something else and we came back to build another part of it and, and you probably weren't on the component
1: model or any of the other like, on ramps either. At that we've point.
0: moved to the component model. I'm actually getting to do some of the front end this week. It's kind of cool. I'm getting to build some components for it. But uh, yeah, we're we're on the on ramp, and the next project we take on is going to be Angular five. Nice. But we're still building Angular JS on this one. Yeah. And all the other teams, and I'm working with our most senior front end developer on this team and he's guiding other people through doing what he really wants to do. And he was like one of the leading forces in bringing Angular in and yeah. he's not getting to do it because he's on this application that was a bigger, more difficult application.
1: Yeah. And so, I'm in the process of switching web forms over. Um, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm doing the whole thing of adding API controllers and, you know, JavaScript components you know, doing mm-hmm. knockout more than you know, anything else. Um, but it's the same kind of thing. It's like, this is not going to happen in a year.
0: Yeah. This is this is something that takes time. One of the big things that we're doing at work, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in the how and when debt accumulates, which is next. But one of the things we're doing is replacing a lot of older systems, things that were built before you got into development, yeah. some of them. And we're replacing those with modern, newer technology And so, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. That takes years and planning it out and going, all right, we're going to replace this system and then this system and like a lot of scheduling and planning.
1: Yeah. And this stuff is more like a mortgage or your student loans. Like it's a long-term plan. I mean, like with your student loans, Mm -hmm. right? Or my mortgage, like that's... Yeah, I think you said your student loans will be paid off in like nine or ten years or something like that. Yeah. You know, my mortgage, I think, is a – well, I know I know it's a 30-year. Um, now, we're probably going to accelerate that and try to burn that down a little quicker because that's – A lot of people do. Yeah. But, I, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't come in and just go, yeah, I'm just going to pay my
0: mortgage off today. Yeah. That's not a thing. Unless you win the lottery, it's not happening. Oh, this is something that's taken out for a big life event and paid off over a longer period of time. Right. And usually – you celebrate when you pay it off. To be honest with you, I paid off one of my bigger student loans and I celebrated when that happened. I'm going to pay off the the next biggest one towards the end of this year and you and I are probably going to go out and celebrate after that.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to remember too, if if the debt is reasonable, like especially with technical debt, like the reason you're paying it off is because it worked. Like you didn't go bankrupt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you have debt because you're not bankrupt.
0: So the next section we're going to talk about is how and when debt accumulates. We've kind of covered a little bit of this when we're talking about what the debt is. It's hard to differentiate what it is from how you get it. But we're going to go into a little bit more depth here. And we're going to break this down into different size debts. So your short, mid and long term debts. And for each one, we're going to talk about the different types So we'll talk about naive, unavoidable, and strategic debt for each short, mid, and long term. Short-term debt comes about from a short-term or immediate need or a limited time frame to get something done.
1: Yeah. So naive short-term debt tends to happen a lot when you have junior developers writing code that's not reviewed by a more senior developer, although senior developers can make these mistakes too, especially Mm -hmm. when they're cutting corners and they're about halfway checked out.
0: Yeah. Usually it's because they're fixing a problem to the best of their ability and not planning for how that will be used in the future.
1: Yeah. And no? that's that's why it's so insidious when you especially get a senior dev that is checked out because they know better and they're taking all the shortcuts that a senior dev is capable of taking mm-hmm. because they know they're not going to be there to fix the problem anyway.
0: That, that is very true. And with with a junior dev, and this is something that I am growing to learn as i'm i'm in the mid range. in other words
1: you're saying that you had to look at some of
0: your old code huh yeah yeah <laughs> uh, i've, I've <laughs> Who looked- checked this crap in oh wait <laughs> Yeah, i've said that many times but uh, yeah i as a journeyman kind of mid-level developer i'm looking at this and i when i write code i am thinking all right how will this be used in the future and that's not something i thought about well, like, you couldn't. It's, it's sort of a meta process that I didn't even know I should be thinking about early on. I was thinking, how is what I'm writing going to be used? Not how can this code evolve evolve and be reused? One of the biggest things is when I stopped being in charge of maintaining one of the projects I was on and it went to another team, and then they were asking questions about things, and I had to explain why certain decisions were made.
1: Yeah, being a junior developer is, is very similar to being poor in a lot of ways because you, you can't think about the longer term because mm-hmm. you're, you're not there yet. Like you don't have the wiggle room.
0: Right. Unavoidable short-term debt happens when a requirement changes or you learn something new, but you don't have the ability to adjust the timeline. So this actually happened to us in the sprint I'm in right now. We had one story for a single form, taking a paper form and putting it online. And our baseline is a single form. So, we just we gave it our baseline because, you know, hey, it's a form. We're just taking this form. We're putting it online. What we didn't realize was how dense that paper form was.
1: Yeah. And you can't do that online because it's not accessible in yeah. section 508. And it yeah.
0: became seven pages. To build that and a massive object, I think I built eight tables in the database just for one paper form. Yep. That's how dense that form was. And we didn't know until we got into it and started building it that we're like, oh, this is a lot more than what we expected.
1: And then you end up having to cram to try to get it all done.
0: Right. And that's where I'm at right now. You know, this will happen if you don't have accurate acceptance criteria or if they change while you're developing, which yeah. they should never change. You create a new story, but <laughs> should. Yeah, should is the the pre- the main word there. I've had them change during acceptance testing.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, just go ahead and write this and and roll it on out. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it, ne- no. it never never works. No.
0: This could also occur from not having enough time to write proper documentation or run the proper tests Yeah, you need to do.
1: Strategic short-term debt is expected and a plan is made for quickly repaying it once the reason for the need is no longer an issue. And the best example of this is coming across something that needs to be changed and creating a story for it to be done at a later time.
0: Yeah, this is like what I said where if the... What you should do if the acceptance criteria needs to change when you're in development, you know, like you learn, you get in there and you start asking some questions that you didn't think about during refinement and they go, oh, that's not what we meant, but it's what it says in the acceptance criteria. You go ahead and build it that way, especially if you've already done it. You, you go ahead and use that because it meets the criteria and you put a story in to fix it later. Yeah. So, this is strategic short-term debt
1: yeah, and I would also think that that's um, something that comes about when you learn new things.. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know you ran into that with the generic log callbacks that we went through on the whiteboard over here that you guys, I guess are using successfully. now. yes.
0: oh, uh, yeah, this is this is a big thing. i I love this. i I got to show it off to our senior and lead developers, and they were like mind blown. Yeah. Like I, I was told, are you sure you're a junior developer? Well, yeah. Yes, yes, I but am. But I know
1: this extremely lazy senior developer
0: <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't like
1: to type anything extra that he doesn't want to type. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've had to do that as well. Like getting uh, you know, getting like require.js and knockout and all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm where I'm working, getting that stood up. Like I haven't gone back and fixed all the old knockout code.
0: Yeah, and with the generic log callbacks, I haven't gone and put those into all of the old code that I had, where I was using the try catches, yeah, I have a to-do in each controller where those still exist that says replace old try catches with yeah the new callback.
1: And of course, again, we didn't get into the Dunning Kruger short-term debt. <laughs> um, I've just seen so much of it. Like
0: <laughs> I know there's there's a reason we're not getting into it because there's not really anything you can do about it.
1: Yeah, because yeah, like
0: you it, you find out about it and you're like, all right, I have to deal with this, but yeah. it's not anything that you can control or mitigate.
1: Yeah, you only see it in the rearview mirror or in the driver's seat, right? <laughs> it's not on the road ahead.
0: Yeah. So next is your midterm debt, and that accumulates when major changes are needed in your code. Naive midterm debt happens due to a lack of understanding or lack of knowledge. Of good design principles.
1: Yeah. So, like, if you're making changes in multiple places just to add a field to a class, then you might want to consider refactoring. I deal with a lot of older code bases I have for most of my career. And so, there's a lot of programmers out there that, quite frankly, if I ever get the opportunity, I'm going to break the Control-C and Control-V on their keyboard. <laughs> because, I mean, like, like you know, you go, oh, I, I got to change this one thing. This should only take an hour. And then you're like, you know how to search for this string and just see if it's anywhere else because I've got a bad feeling. And, yeah. oh, yeah, it's in 47 places, slightly altered. So, you've got to go look at every one of those and test yep. every one of those. And, that's- oh, by the way, it's web forms, so you can't, like, unit yeah. test cleanly yet. Oh. So, you're yeah, I know, in there.
0: I know. Uh, I've had to deal with some of our, our older stuff that's in web forms and I testing it is not. Pleasant at all. Yeah. Um, And I'm a big proponent of unit testing. So,
1: and you get a lot of this too with junior devs um, as they're learning things. With a senior developer, you call this resume driven development uh, (laughs) because you will get that too. Yeah. Um, That's that's how it manifests for seniors. Uh, But for junior developers, it's like, oh, I just learned a better way to do this. They don't have time to go back and fix the other things because they're still working and they tried something new and they probably didn't get it right the first eight times. I can't see
0: too much negative about this because I'm I'm right there and I'm, I'm mid-level, but I am still learning a lot of new things. And there's code in the code base I'm working in right now from when I would consider myself still junior. Yeah. Um, that I've gone back and rewritten a couple of times already because I've learned a better way of doing it. Uh, honestly, we just started using ReSharper at work. So, I found a way to take three sets of stories and abstract out the core for what was needed in them and get all the API stuff done in about a week and a half that should have taken a three-week sprint to do the whole thing. So now I'm helping the front end to get a little bit ahead because I built everything unexpectedly faster thanks to learning some new stuff and a new tool.
1: Yeah, when you get new tricks like that, you know, th- that's what happens, and you, you're you not able to really go back and fix the old. Right. Um, you know, I'm, heck, I've got stuff in the code base that I'm working on. Two years ago that I wrote, and now I look at it and I go, that's not that's not optimal. It's not yeah. bad. It's not broken. It's just like, man, I don't like that.
0: Well, it, I talked to our senior front-end developer who's the UI developer I work with, and I told him, I was like, hey, I I'm done with my bit do you want me to go back and do some refactoring or do you want me to help out on the front end? And he was like, I could really use your help on the front end. So I'm getting to do some front end work because of that. And it's awesome. I'm learning so much just this week from being able to work in it.
1: Uh, Midterm unavoidable debt comes about usually because of upgrades and tools and frameworks. This could be adding new services or updates to existing ones that require changes to be made in the current code base um, so lots of you know stuff with backward compatibility can be this where i work we're looking at reworking our logging for the entire app we have logging statements in there but there's a lot of that that needs to be changed and so this is a mid tier thing because it wasn't you know it wasn't as thorough as it needed to
0: be looks well, like i was talking about earlier with that service that i wrote where we added that backward compatibility into it so that we could come in And we didn't have to go change five different applications that were using it all at one time and take all of them down from production to make this change. Right. This could also happen when the tools that you are using are updated with breaking changes. So something that we ran across with Angular was we weren't able to upgrade some of our applications to 1.5. Like we had to change in our grunt from the... Oh, you're talking about like
1: the version specifier piece yeah. where you use the what is it? The symbol like, that looks like a hat.
0: Yeah, a yeah. Carrot. The carrot versus the tilde. <laughs> I don't know why I always call that a hat because yeah. it doesn't look like a hat. But we we had to use the tilde. Yeah. To to get a specific minor version of Angular because yeah.
1: If you use the if you use the other one, it goes up to the next major, major version. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so they changed the routing in 1.5 and it did not work with what we were doing. And this was the very first app I was working on. So it didn't work with the way we had built our directives in that one. So we were not able to move up until we made changes in the application.
1: Yeah. So strategic tit in the midterm is when you build something a certain way, knowing that you will likely have to change it in the future. Um, And this could be because of business requirements Uh, You know, you're coming down the pipe. Uh, It could also be that the tools necessary to build it the correct way are not available yet.
0: This is something that I've run into at work where using this microservices, we are told, hey, we're going to have this service and you need to integrate with this service, but it's not built yet.
1: Yeah, so so stub it out. So
0: you got to build in this technical debt to connect with the service when it eventually exists.
1: Yeah, and and the one that gets me um, because you know, our software is white label, right? So it goes yeah. out to client sites. Some of our clients, for instance, are on Windows Server 2008 R2. Now, 2008 R2, I think it's R2, doesn't support WebSockets in the browser. And We've got some stuff that uses WebSockets, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or it doesn't support it on the web. it doesn't support WebSockets at the web server level. Okay, yeah. I so we that. had to do signal R with long, you know, with jQuery long polling for those. So we have the same model. Now, do we want this thing polling? But we have to put up with that until the clients move forward. And so that's a big thing that will happen to you, Mm -hmm. too. It's like there's new tech that would be really, really cool to have. I can think of another example. I want the JSON support that's in SQL 2016. We have clients on 2008 R2. It's going to be a hot minute.
0: I I understand. Yeah.
1: So you can't can't always do it the best way because you are not necessarily in control of the servers either.
0: Mm Mm-hmm yeah that's like when when we integrated database logging, I had it just fine on Dev, but on our servers on the DMZ. it wasn't there because certain Dlls were not included. Oh, you're talking about Oracle, yeah yeah, oh man that that was that was a pain you were you
1: helped me. Out I don't with even that, you know, and the thing is is I don't deal with Oracle day to day and have very rarely had to. But I'm deeply aware of those just yep. from the times that I've had to do it because they don't <laughs> like you, you pull in the, uh, the Oracle DLLs and dot net. You know, you get the yeah. NuGet package, but there's the other DLLs that those are calling and it doesn't put them there. Like, oh, you have to install our special client. It's like, is there any instruction here? So
0: finally, long term debt comes from major overhauls in the technology that you're using, such as changing your framework or updating to a modern language.
1: You don't see as much of this in the naive quadrant, with the exception of the occasional manager that doesn't understand what they're asking for in an overhaul. Of course, I will say that there is a naive way of taking this on. Uh, oh yeah, where like like right now, if you're still doing uh, ASP.NET .NET Web Forms, you know that's probably not always the best place to be. That's they say they're going to continue it, but it, there's a lot of the smell of discontinuation happening. Yeah. And so I would I would say that's how you get there in a naive way. It's it's a junior dev or a developer that is a um, expert beginner pushing the, you into it or the, a really old dev that doesn't want to change their ways.
0: The, the other thing could be it's something that you've talked about in the past, which is changing for the sake of change or a senior dev that wants to do resume driven development because they want to get into it. So they're not planning on sticking around, but they want to play around with it. So they bring yes. it in.
1: And I worked with a guy like this that, um, and he showed me how to use web sockets. He showed me all kinds of slick stuff early, mm-hmm. early on. Um, and he wanted to get into all this stuff. And then once he got it down, he left and guess who got to maintain that for another month until I got cut. Um, but, <laughs> you know, because they had all these downsizings anyway, so yeah. it didn't really matter, but that's That's kind of how that happens. So
0: this becomes unavoidable when you've been using an older technology that can't keep up with the modern world.
1: Yeah. And again, going back to the web forms example, like newer web form stuff can keep up with mobile. But the way most people that are still doing web forms, write web forms, it can't.
0: The technology you built your business around may no longer be supported. Here's looking at you, Silverlight. Or VB6 web classes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or Java, uh, those little Java plugins. I think those are pretty much gone now. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Or Flash is going.
0: Flash is going, though it's still being used because we used Flash today. Yeah. Uh, In this case, longer term debt becomes an immediate concern that has to be addressed, but it has to be addressed strategically.
1: Right. You can't just drop everything and, and do that. You know, I've I've worked at places where people have come in and said, Oh, you need to fire all these developers and you need to immediately, you know, just stop all development for six months, don't do any sales and rebuild this entire product. Yeah. It's it's great when a guy comes in with like two or three days experience at a company and says that to management. You know, on the plus side, um, if he's got any cool pins or a monitor you want, when they walk him out of the building, you're probably gonna get them.
0: Well, I mean, it's one thing. To say that as a, this would be a, you know, a good idea. Yeah. It's another thing to say that as you should do this.
1: Yeah. What you do is you, if you, if you're going to say that you couch it and go, you know, in in a perfect world, here's what I would suggest, but we're not in a perfect world. So let's talk about how to triage this and straighten this mess out.
0: So the only place to effectively deal with long-term debt is in the strategic quadrant. This is where you plan to upgrade to a newer system or framework. You know, I've already talked about how we're moving from Angular JS to Angular and our newer applications are being built in it, but the application that I'm working on right now with our senior front-end developer is still in Angular JS because that's where it started. We weren't going to port this over. That would be poor planning. Right.
1: Instead, what you do is you start bringing in component classes and you start gradually switching it out until eventually there's such a small barrier that you can make the jump.:
0: Exactly,
1: which is what I'm doing with the you know the web API and the MVC and, and all that kind of stuff, it's going to take me a while yeah. to, to get there, but you kind of have to go that way. And in the
0: longer term, like in the, the overview, the big picture of what I do for a living, where I work. I'm rebuilding older systems with newer, more sustainable, more scalable technologies. And, you know, that's what we're doing. They have a strategic plan in place for replacing all of these older systems. We're doing it one at a time, team by team, rebuilding these. And in the process, we're changing the way that business is done. We had our product owner's manager in a meeting a couple of weeks ago. And he was saying, oh yeah, the reason we did this certain thing the way we did it was because 20 years ago, this was all done on paper and you had to quickly be able to see it in a file. We don't have to do things that way anymore. It's not important that that system isn't important. It's what it represented that w- that's important. And he's like, there's a better way to do this with computers and automating it. So I would rather us move that direction. And it's, like I say it's really exciting to have someone on the business side that wants that and understands that concept.
1: Yeah. So speaking of, of actually paying off the technical debt, the next thing to discuss is how to do that.
0: Right. And for this, we also broke it down into short, mid and long term. Your short term debt is going to be the easiest to pay off, but it's also the easiest to avoid.
1: Yeah, and most of it comes from a need for a quick short-term benefit with little cost and you should pay it off as quick as possible. So, use the credit card to buy a fire extinguisher to put the fire out before it burns your house down. That's okay, but you shouldn't still be paying that credit card debt 20 years from now.
0: Or, you know, use the credit card to pay your emergency room bill and then pay it off. Even if it takes you a couple of months, pay it off in a couple of months. I will say, all right, talking about debt I'm going to admit I had some medical bills that I've been paying on because interest-free. Yeah. And so, I've been paying on for a while. Well, I got my tax return recently and I just paid off all of those because by doing that, that saves me a lot of money per month that I can then put into savings.
1: Yeah. And short-term technical debt- uh, if you leave it in the code base, it will metastasize because we, mm-hmm. you know, code reuse is a core thing. So you may have written something in a crappy way and it was real quick. But if you leave that there, a junior dev is going to come behind you and use that everywhere. And they're going to yeah. copy it all over the code
0: base. This could mean you need to create a story for it, especially in an agile environment, or handle it as soon as development is completed. So you got a client that is on fire. You go and you put in the quick fix to get them back up and running. And then the next day or, you know, let's say you stay up all night, the two days later when you go into the office, then you start looking at, all right, how do we fix the problem? You want to build into your development cycle some time to address the short-term technical debt so that it doesn't accumulate. And one thing that we haven't talked about is interest. And what happens when these short and midterm debts start to accumulate and you're not paying them off. And that's going to come in a later episode when we talk about some of the problems around technical debt.
1: So uh, midterm debt takes a bit more effort and planning than short term debt. Uh, You may not be able to address this immediately or pay it all back at once. This is the sort of stuff that's too big to go in one sprint. Mm -hmm. Um, If you've got a longer release cycle, it still probably won't fit because you probably didn't create it. In the, like you, you have bigger chunks. Is essentially what happens. So it, it won't get it will not get paid off in a release cycle that it wasn't created in. In other yeah. words, of, of the same length.
0: This is like the medical bills that I had from the last time I had a kidney stone. Now, mind you, I've only had two kidney stones, but I ended up in the hospital, uh, staying overnight, going through like all the process of finding out what it was and fluids and all that. So I had a pretty hefty hospital bill that I had to pay off and I paid off over the course of a couple of years, but I had a plan and I paid a certain amount every month. The The idea is these are larger debts, bigger things that, that happen that you have to pay off incrementally and you build that in. Um, the example that we've kind of been using throughout this episode is the one that I have of that API we changed. You get five different line of business applications that use the same service. You set aside time to change each one individually. So you change one and then you go back to your regular work. And then as you see some time coming up in the future, you go, all right, I'm going to set aside these two days to work on this and I'm going to pull this application and fix it and update it so that it goes with the new API. Right, and you set a time limit to do that by.
1: And the other thing too is you may you know you're on a team where your timelines are a little bit more controlled by you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're doing estimation, you know it is okay to pad for this a little bit so that you can actually fix problems in an area that you're working in.
0: I would suggest padding no matter what. Yeah. Because problems are gonna come up that you didn't expect.
1: Yeah, but if it's especially if it's an area that's got known technical debt, yeah. it's like, oh, I just got burned by this technical debt and I fixed it in this one little slice. Like that's a superior solution to not having the padding mm-hmm. and being just stuck and going over.
0: Yeah. Another option is to designate a certain time frame or sprint to addressing the accumulated debt. Because when short term debt accumulates. And builds interest, it becomes midterm debt.
1: Yeah. And the same with midterm and long term.
0: Right. Speaking of which, the last thing we're going to talk about is paying off long-term debt. Takes a lot of planning and usually involves software architects and management. You know, your average developer that's in the trenches isn't likely to make the plans on how to address major changes in the company.
1: Right. I mean, this is almost the point where you're, you know, financially you would be looking at a financial advisor. Mm-hmm type person to get in there, or, you know, you're going to start talking to accountants and tax attorneys and mm-hmm. all those kind of shenanigans. It's not a short-term thing.
0: Right. Now that said, your average developer, med senior developer may be involved in those decisions or be able to suggest or influence them. Like one of the things I love about my job is I can walk into our executive director's office at any time and sit down and talk to her about our strategic goals. And say, hey, I've had an idea that will help us reach these faster or do this better. And she'll sit and listen to it. And that may change the direction that we go. Yeah. Um, Not likely, but I may influence. Yeah. And she'll listen. And I, I like that about the job I have because I've been told that's, that's not, not the common case.
1: Yeah. Most places. Um, I've got that where I work as well. It's Some of that is a trust thing too. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, that's something you have to kind of build up to. But, but yeah, it's going to take more people and more time and more planning. It's, it's like if you have a high interest credit card debt of 1000 bucks at a, a typical developer salary, you can pay that off pretty quick. Right. If you have a high interest credit card debt of $100,000 on a typical developer salary, you cannot pay that off quickly. You have to restructure the debt so mm-hmm. that you can get at it and actually start working it down. And that's sort of the metaphor
0: here. Speaking of the metaphor, the idea here is not to avoid accumulating technical debt, but instead to understand what it is and how it can be used properly to benefit your development and your business. A quick fix has cost down the line, and understanding that can help you make decisions about how to build your applications. Accumulation of technical debt causes poor documentation inaccurate tests, and a plethora of to-do comments. Knowing what you're getting yourself into when taking on technical debt helps you better plan for paying it off before it gets out of hand. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I want to talk about a personality
1: type to avoid. And I don't know exactly what you would call this, but I'm going to describe it and I like to refer to it as the secret king. And that is an individual that believes that they are, you know, awesome, you know, great at what they do and if people just recognized it, you know, they would put them in charge of things. I'll tell you for the most part this kind of individual is completely deluded and you really need to be much more careful in how you deal with them. And there's a lot of historical examples of this. Um, it never really ends well. But basically, the idea is, is that if you can't make other people see your value, um, that's a problem with you, not a problem with them. And you really want to avoid these sort of individuals because what tends to happen is that this worldview produces a lot of rage over time. Uh, BJ and I have both dealt with individuals like this uh, at various points in our, in our lives that thought that they uh, were the absolute bee's knees and that if everybody just recognized it, you know, they would be in charge of things. But I've noticed some of the people that I know that are around this situation are trying to either talk to the individual or go, yeah, you know, you're great. And they very clearly don't think the person's great and it's going to blow up in their face. And I'm just watching it on Facebook and I'm going to sit back and laugh because I already told them, don't, don't do this. You're crazy. And so I just want to throw that out there. Like if you see somebody doing the whole secret king routine, keep your distance. It's not worth it. Um, That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By For Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative
0: Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions.
1: Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to completedevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.